Well, good morning, Rock Valley Bible Church. Uh, it's my pleasure to be with you guys up here at this pulpit once again to open the Word of God with you. It, it truly is a, a blessing for me to be able to do this, and uh, I want you to know how much I appreciate every one of you in this church. Well, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to turn with me to our text. We are going to be in the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we'll be examining verses 10 through 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I do pray that your word would go forth with authority, with conviction, with power. I pray that you would use me as a willing vessel to proclaim your word. Lord, as we see uh, this armor must be put on and that we're in a spiritual battle, I pray that we would ready our hearts for this spiritual battle. Bless the word and give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just looking at the passage right off, one of the things you notice is the spiritual language. There is a spiritual enemy, there is a spiritual armor, and we combat all these with spiritual prayer. And thinking about the spiritual language in Ephesians, even chapter 1, the third verse, talks about spiritual blessings. Paul begins the book of Ephesians with spiritual language. He ends the book of Ephesians with spiritual language. And in trying to figure all this out, I did a little bit of a background research on Ephesus, and it turns out that this gem of a church was in the midst of a very pagan culture that understood very real spiritual battle. Ephesus was a port city, a very important port city in Western Asia Minor, home to about 250,000 people. It was a place where there was much commercial trade, and because of this, it was a melting pot of culture and a melting pot of religion. It was a place that experienced a lot of black magic and demonic influence. But above all, it was home of the goddess Artemis and home to the great temple of the goddess Artemis, which is considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Understanding this and all of the battles the Ephesian church was facing, we can see some of those battles in the book of 1 Timothy, the False teachers, false apostles, unqualified deacons and overseers. On top of that, charlatans for preachers, people who were interested in money. 
a very spiritual battle. And Paul comes against this with very spiritual language, knowing that they would understand his slant. Let's begin to examine our text more closely, looking at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice the word finally there in verse 10. Paul is getting ready to wrap up all that he had previously stated in Ephesians. He had covered much doctrinal ground. Salvation is of God, his sovereign hand. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. We need unity in doctrine, holiness in the church, love as a Christian church. He covered a lot of ground. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He's culminating with the fact that there is a very real spiritual attack on all these things, that there's a very real spiritual battle in the church of the living God. So he says, be strong. But he doesn't just leave it at be strong, as if to say that we should somehow muster up courage and muster up strength in ourselves because there's a battle that we're going to have to face and we got to be strong and, and, and ready. No, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Who is the Lord there? It's Not talking about God the Father, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the strength of his might. How do we do that? Paul gives a command. Verse 11, put on, put on the whole armor of God. That's how we stand in the strength of his might, by putting on the whole armor of God. And really, to put on the whole armor of God, you must do what the scripture calls putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. This armor is gospel-centric. Let's look at the language here. There's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. It all points back to Christ. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and in doing so, we put on the whole armor of God. That shows us that an unbeliever cannot put this armor on, because you have to put on Christ. And we put on Christ through believing the gospel, by believing what this word says about Christ. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God came to the earth, died on the cross, His blood was shed, poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins, He was placed in the tomb on the third day he rose and that by repentance and faith we would be saved. I don't know how many here who have read the book Pilgrim's Progress, but remember Christian, right? He carries this burden on his back. He comes to the place of deliverance. He puts on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he puts on the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? He's given the armor of God to fight the battle as a man of God. We must put on the whole armor of God. And why? That we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. How many people here know that the devil has schemes? We've we've all faced schemes of the devil. We understand what that looks like intimately in our own lives. But we must put on this whole armor through Jesus Christ that we can stand against these schemes. And notice Paul says put on the whole armor, not some of the armor. Not to take the sword and leave the shield at home or put on the helmet of salvation and leave your gospel shoes tucked away. He says put on the whole armor of God. That is to put on all that Jesus Christ is in our lives that we may stand against the schemes of the devil. 
And these schemes are of the devil. Paul says, we wrestle against the devil. We wrestle against not flesh, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is to say that your battle, your fighting, your wrestling is not against your coworker or your neighbor or the guy in traffic or your mother-in-law or your father-in-law or any human form. But it is quite literally against satanic forces. Our battle as a church and as individuals in the church is against the devil. It's against principalities, wicked powers in high places. And these wicked powers want to destroy you. It's to be taken very seriously. These, these wicked powers quite literally want to kill you. They want to destroy your Christian walk. They want to destroy your marriage. They want to destroy your beautiful children and grandchildren. They ultimately want to damn your eternal soul. This is a very serious battle. Paul uses the word in verse 12, wrestle. Traditionally, when we think about wrestling here in the West, we think about a match where there's two individuals faced off and, and what they're attempting to do is pull a couple technical moves on their opponent and pin them down for three to five seconds, get up, shake hands, one of them's a victor, and they part ways. But that's not the type of wrestling that Paul is talking about here in verse 12. The type of wrestling Paul is talking about here in verse 12 is a much more serious wrestling with a much more serious end result and much more serious implications for the one who loses. This wrestling is likened to two opponents facing head and head, fighting one another to gain power to overthrow the opponent to the place where they literally have them pinned down by their throat and rendered powerless. That is the type of wrestling that Paul is talking about here. That is the type of battle we are in and engaged in with the enemy. It's a battle for power. It's a battle for victory. Paul gives a therefore. Having said all these things, having understood all these things, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Paul is saying, you need to have all of it on. You need to be geared up. Undoubtedly, his readers could perhaps see a, a Roman soldier, a, a mighty man of war with a, a, a helmet on and a breastplate and a sword and a shield and a belt and these, these shoes that are just ready to go, ready to fight. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Because without this armor, you cannot. Again, to reiterate, this armor comes through Christ. This all points back to Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can stand in the evil day. Now, what is the evil day? Well, the evil day could have a couple different meanings. Traditionally, it's believed that Paul is referring to an evil age. 
And perhaps that age started at the fall of man and it continues on until the culmination of all things. I see that point. I think that we are in a very spiritual battle, that we are engaged in an evil day. But I think more specifically, everybody is going to have an evil day that they face. And we all face evil days. And what that evil day looks like for one might be different than the other. That evil day might look like the loss of a loved one, a terminal illness, a striving with pain and infidelity, financial struggles. These are all things that are known for trying and testing people. There's an evil day that we have to war against. There's an evil day that we have to be ready for, prepared for, that we might be able to Stand firm in it. Now, this is the second time Paul uses stand language. We need to stand. We need to stand strong. We need to stand firm. This standing firm is like a soldier that sees his opponent coming at them. And maybe they're more well-armed even than they are. Yet they're immovable. Their face is like flint. They're not afraid. They know the God they serve. And they're not going to move. They're going to destroy their opponent. This is the type of standing firm Paul has in mind. And now for the third time, Paul uses stand language. Stand therefore, in verse 14. Stand therefore. Now he gets into the armor of God. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I find it interesting That the very first piece of armor Paul mentions is the belt of truth. It's not the shield of faith. It's not the helmet of salvation. It's not the sword of the spirit. Not even the gospel of peace, the shoes. But a belt. What is the significance of the belt? Well, in ancient war, people wore man dresses. A lot of guys wore it. They wore man dresses. People wore dresses. And what the belt did was it enabled a soldier, and sorry, I'm going to have to speak louder because I'm stepping away from the microphone, but it allowed a soldier to take the loose garments and tuck it away in the belt so that it wouldn't be a hindrance to them in battle, so that the enemy couldn't actually use their clothing against them. And we can see this in in jujitsu, which is a a mixed martial art, in which in jujitsu... Uh, two opponents go against each other to try and put the other one into submission. They use their body against them or even their clothing. They can use loose collars to choke them out and bring them to a place of submission. This is the same type of concept. And what it's very symbolic of is a belt that prevents the enemy from being able to use us against us. In turn, protecting us from hypocrisy. When we gird ourselves with the truth, this is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We gird ourselves with the word of God. And it protects us from a life of hypocrisy. And notice that Paul groups with this the breastplate of righteousness. And they truly go hand in hand. What would a breastplate guard in war? The heart. It guarded all the vital organs, but specifically, you have to worry about your heart. 
This breastplate of righteousness guards the believer's heart. Now, traditionally, in battle, this breastplate was made up of thick leather or some type of heavy material and covered in animal horn or hoof. So that way, when an arrow was shot at a soldier, it would prevent the arrow from slipping in between the armor and killing them. So we have this breastplate of righteousness that we wear as Christians. And really, it's vital for a Christian to guard his heart. Now, we're called to guard our heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked, evil above all things. Who can know it? Jesus says in Matthew that out of the heart come evil thoughts, slander, adultery. We must guard our heart. And we guard our heart with the breastplate of righteousness. Christ Jesus himself being the guard of our heart. The one who protects our heart. Satan would love nothing more than to see a bunch of Christians laying down their armor. Not guarding their heart. That he might be able to sink just one arrow in there. If he could just plant a seed and let it grow. But as Christians, we're told to take up the whole armor of God in Christ, all that Christ is. And this breastplate also aids in keeping us from hypocrisy. We walk in righteousness. We walk in holiness. We walk in integrity. That outsiders might not be able to look at us and say, they say this, but they do that. I believe that's why Paul groups it with the belt of truth. A Christian's heart is where everything flows from. His passions... His desires, aspirations, the truth of God's word. And Jesus himself says we can't, we can't be like a salt spring and a freshwater spring. We can't walk around hypocritical. As Christians, we need to take this walk seriously. And part of doing that is guarding our heart that the enemy might not take root in it and have his way in us. Moving forward, it's probably my favorite piece of armor. It just makes me think of Christ and the Apostle Paul. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There is a a readiness, an anticipation, an eagerness Part of the armor is literally to have feet that are swift in the gospel. For those of you in here today who are in the service, you know that one of the first things that you're taught when you go to basic training is to protect your feet. Because a soldier is only as good as his feet are capable of carrying him. You're told to keep your boots dry and your socks changed, lest you get trench foot and you're good for nothing. I can't help but Think of that when looking at shoes for our feet, the gospel of peace, just an ill-equipped Christian who feels they've taken up everything else, but they've neglected the gospel. Isaiah says, how beautiful it is on the mountain, the feet of those who bring the good news. Paul echoes that in Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then Jesus I can imagine he wore out many a pair of sandals. Unless he had the same thing going on the Israelites did in the wilderness for 40 years. 
But just get the picture of John in the book of Revelation. The Apostle John falls down at the Lord's feet as though dead. And one thing he notices about the Lord is that his feet are like burnished bronze refined in a fire. Refined in a furnace. They're glowing. I can't help but feel that has spiritual significance. The Lord's feet glowing. And why? Not just because he's the ultimate gospel minister, but because he is the gospel. He is the gospel. And as Christians, we need to have this readiness. We need to have this this unction, this desire, this passion, this zeal, this fire to share the gospel. If we believe it, we ought to share it. However that looks like, share it. We ought to be quick to carry it to the ends of the earth. That's the command, make disciples of all nations. We ought to be quick to carry it to the ends of our city and, and, and missions, foreign and domestic, and to our friends and neighbors. But brothers and sisters, I challenge you even further. I think it's of equal importance that you preach the gospel to yourself. Every day. And the reason I say that is because if you are not fully convinced of the gospel for yourself, you are not going to have a passion and a zeal to share it with others. If you're not convinced that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, if you're not convinced that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, if you're not convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, if you don't believe this word, you're not going to have a passion to share the gospel. You'll come to church every week. You'll hear the word of God. But when you leave the four walls, you're going to struggle that it's not for you. And you're going to be ineffective. It's those who believe the gospel truly for themselves that burn with a passion to share it with others. Paul says, put on these shoes. Have these shoes on. Be ready to share the gospel. Have that readiness. Then he says, in all circumstances, that is to say, every circumstance, always take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, I don't know if when talking about this armor, Paul had a Roman soldier in mind or not, but typically the soldiers would carry a shield that was about two and a half feet wide by four and a half feet tall and a Roman soldier could quite nearly hide his entire body behind this shield. They could hide behind this shield from the enemy attack, and it would aid in all the rest of their armor that they wore. However, it wasn't all-encompassing, so the enemy could get an arrow in. The enemy could slip an arrow in. It could be a fatal one. But this shield is not a material shield. It's not made out of metal. It's made up of faith. Faith. Faith in God. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the Word of God. That He is faithful. And we can stand fully encompassed in this shield of faith, knowing that God's Word is the final authority. That God's Word stands true despite our circumstances. Despite how intimidating the enemy might seem. This shield protects us from not some, but all the flaming darts 
of the evil one. Every single dart, whether it's a dart of discouragement or to get you to doubt your salvation or a temptation. God's word says that this shield of faith, when taken up properly, can extinguish every single flaming dart of Satan and every one of his demons. Then Paul says to take the helmet of salvation. And what does the helmet do? It guards the head, right? Protects your head, perhaps from the edge of a sword. A helmet will protect your, your head from a blunt object, maybe even from an arrow. But really what this is showing us is that there is a battle for the Christian mind. It's the helmet of salvation. Paul is talking to believers here. He's talking about a helmet that we put on that guards our mind from the spiritual attacks of the enemy. A helmet that guards our mind specifically from doubting our salvation. And now I would say that this goes hand in hand with preaching the gospel to yourself. With believing the gospel for yourself. If we begin to listen to the lies of Satan, I mean, you know the lies. Brother so-and-so, you don't read your Bible or pray nearly as much as you should. Sister so-and-so, you've been struggling with this sin for a long time, and you keep praying about it. You keep asking for forgiveness, and, and you keep trying to get through it, but you know what? You just haven't gotten the victory over it yet. You might, might want to consider whether or not you're even really saved. And, and if you're not, all this is kind of useless. Maybe you ought to just go home. Maybe you ought to just... Give up. Brother so-and-so, I saw your eyes the other day. I saw them shift, but I repented. Well, you keep doing it. Maybe, maybe you don't belong to the Lord. Everyone in this room has heard the lies of Satan. Everyone in this room has battled, and that battle doesn't look the same for everyone. But there is a battle for the Christian mind. It is with the mind that an atheist comes to the place where he rejects God. It is with the mind that a Christian hears the word of God and by the grace of God believes and understands. It is with the mind that one retains the word of God and shares it with others. Everything that happens, happens in the mind. And Satan wants to grab you by your throat, hold you down, and control your mind. He wants to control your thinking. He wants to control your passions. He wants to control your desires. He wants to render you powerless. Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. Believe the gospel. In other places in scripture, it's called the helmet of the hope of salvation. That's why many scholars believe that this is, in fact, specifically talking about a helmet that guards a Christian's mind from doubt. We ought to always guard our mind from doubt. Then finally, the offensive weapon. We're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
It is this very sword that we come against the gates of hell and we demand souls. Jude talks about that, snatching people out of the fire. It's with this very word, this very sword, that marriages are saved, brothers are reconciled, abortions are stopped, the kingdom of Satan is brought down, souls are won, and the kingdom of God is advanced. This sword is the offensive weapon that a Christian carries to advance the kingdom of God. That's why we learn it. We know it. We love it. We preach it. We're passionate about it. God has given us a sword. God has given us his word to carry out his will, to be the hands and the feet. This is a mighty sword. And finally, Paul tells us to pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. What is praying in the Spirit? I'd like to start off with what it's not. In the modern-day evangelical world, it's a popular belief that's on the rise that uh, praying in the Spirit is praying in tongues. That is to say that it is some form of prayer language. But contextually, that's an error. Notice in verse 17, Paul says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, comma, praying at all times in the Spirit. To pray in the Spirit is to pray the Word of God. Because when we pray the word of God, we pray the will of God. And Jesus says, whatever you ask according to his will, it will be done for you. We are to pray the will and the word of God. That's what it is to pray in the spirit. Now, Paul says, praying at all times. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're constantly praying, that you're sitting in the pew, even praying right now, not paying attention to the message? You're just always praying everywhere you are. You're in your closet all day long, impressing everyone with your prayers. That's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is, every time you do pray, pray in the Spirit. Every time you do pray, pray the Word of God. In doing so, you will be praying the will of God. And he says to do it with all prayer and supplication. Every time you pray, pray the word of God. So what is the will of God? What is the will of God in prayer? Well, he wants souls saved. Pray for that. He wants abortions stopped. Pray for that. God honors the sanctity of life. Right? We stand for that as Christians. God wants missionaries sent out. Pray for that. If it's found in here, pray it. And in doing so, our prayers will get answered much more often. Well, I can't end this message without having my gospel shoes on. Because I know for a fact that there are some in this congregation that don't have access to the armor right now. They don't have the ability to put it on. 
because they don't know Christ. And I would plead with you before you leave here. I I really, I, I mean, I honestly and earnestly beg of you to believe this gospel, that you might be given the armor. Because right now you're in a place where Satan has complete control over you. He has you by your neck and he will rule and reign in your life. And if you don't think that this is a very real thing, I challenge you just to go to downtown Rockford. Look at the infrastructure of the city. Look at the amount of police cars out on patrol. The prostitution, the crack, the meth, the heroin, the cocaine. Courtroom is always full. The jails are always replenishing new people. You go down by the bus station. I've been down there a handful of times to witness. And you see people sitting with their faces in their hands, broken, sorry, crying, powerless. Because Satan has them by their throat. And what is lacking? The Lord Jesus Christ. The armor to fight against it. And so for those of you here today who don't know, who don't know Christ, and you might think that your sin is fun for today, but there's a day you'll see it for what it is if you don't repent. And I pray right now, it's my earnest prayer, that you would put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and not to be tossed around like a rag doll by him. The gospel is very simple. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it to do the works of God? Believe in him whom he sent. Believe with all your heart that God the Father sent God the Son to the earth to live a perfect sinless life. That he was placed on the cross, crucified. He was pierced for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. Believe his blood was shed for you to pay for your sins, that he was placed in the tomb, and on the third day he rose from the grave because it was impossible that death could hold him. If you believe that, repent of your sin. The Bible says that the Lord will save you. If you confess your sin, the scripture says that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I plead with you to put your trust in Jesus Christ today. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ that you may take up his armor and fight the good fight of faith. Let us pray. Father, your word is mighty. And it's not to be taken lightly. You've called us to many things. You've called us to dress for battle. There's a lot we must put on, and ultimately we do it through putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would all be Christians prepared for war, prepared for the fight, that we might bring glory to your name, honor to your name, that Jesus Christ might be known and exalted above all things. I pray that those here today who are living in sin, who claim to be Christian, would be serious about the faith, that your grace and love would enwrap wrap them, Lord. That their mind would be changed. For those who know that they don't know you, God, I pray that your grace would abound. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You save to the uttermost, Lord. You can surely do it. And I pray that according to your grace and mercy, you would save souls even here today.
May they leave in a way that they didn't come in, full of grace and truth. Bless us as we go. May this be a blessed and wonderful Mother's Day. Bless all the mothers here and all the mothers in the city and all around the world. In Jesus' precious name, amen.